Hi, I'm Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. The gospel stories we encounter every Holy Week are really like the last scenes of a great movie or the last chapters of a great book. If you don't know the story that came before, you might not really appreciate all that's going on. You know, for example, let's say you have a friend that had never read Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, or they never watched the movies, but let's say they bought the DVDs and they just wanted to watch the last scene. You know, they don't know anything about Gandalf. They don't know anything about who Sauron is, the Ring of Power, Mount Doom, Frodo. They don't really know anything. They just fast forward to one of the last scenes and spoiler alert here. Let's say they see this slimy, creepy figure named Gollum jumping up and down and he's holding this ring and he's saying, my precious. And then suddenly he slips and he falls over a cliff and falls down into this big lava pit and dies. And the ring goes down with him. If you didn't know the story that came before, you wouldn't really appreciate how significant this moment is. This is the salvation of all of Middle Earth. This is the the defeat of the Dark Lord Sauron. His ring of power has finally been destroyed in Mount Doom. You wouldn't really get that if you didn't know the story that came before. Well, I think that's what sometimes happens to us. When we approach Holy Week, I mean, we know, of course, the death and resurrection of Jesus, climax of all of human history. We get that. But when we get to the accounts themselves, we may not fully appreciate all that's going on. I mean, we just did Passion Sunday, Palm Sunday. And I don't know if you had a chance to watch a Mass or go to a Mass, but maybe even just read the accounts of Palm Sunday. Most of us haven't been able to go to a Mass, but we can at least read it. And when you read those accounts, do you really understand all that's going on? I mean, we know, yeah, Jesus is betrayed, he's scourged, and he's crucified. We, we, we know the facts, but do we know the significance of what's really happening in these stories? Why is there a temple veil torn from top to bottom? Why do they take Jesus's garments and cast lots for them? Why do we read about this seamless tunic that they don't want to tear apart? What, what is this all about? Why, why do we need to know every little detail? I mean, just get the main point. Yes, Jesus suffered a lot and he died for me. You know, Jesus wants us to pay attention because these stories are the climactic stories of his whole life. Everything comes to a head right here. And I want to bring you in on that. Are you ready to understand the Good Friday story in all the details? Are you ready to know what it's all about? Because to do that, you need to know the story that came before And that's the Old Testament story, the prophecies. Jesus, every step of the way on Good Friday, every little word, every little detail of the Good Friday story is there for a reason and is there to show us God's amazing love and the fulfillment of his plan. And that's what I want to look at today as we consider the climax of the story, Jesus's death on Good Friday. So welcome to the All Things Catholic Podcast. I'm your host, Edward Sree, and I want to give a special welcome to any new listeners who are joining us. Thank you for being with us. Blessed Holy Week to you. And I'll give also a a warm welcome to all the returning listeners who come in week after week. My prayers are for you all this week here. I'm praying for you, all you around the world. In this most important time, Jesus has something special for you. He, oh, There's always special graces in the Lenten season, especially this climax of the Lenten season. I pray that you're going to be available to those graces. 
I know it's hard because right now there's so much distraction, so much weighing on our heart right now with all that's going on in the world. And most of all, it's really hard because most of us can't get to mass and we're, we miss being able to receive Jesus in the Eucharist. So it's in this time of great trial, we want to turn to Jesus. Our instinct is to turn to him in the Eucharist and in the mass. And we're feeling like we can't, like we used to. Um, I want to encourage you because I know that we can still encounter him in a powerful way. You may not have access to mass, but you do have access, all of you, to his word in scripture. You see, the Eucharist is a unique presence, body, blood, soul, and divinity. He's present to us. But the church teaches that Jesus is also present to us in many other ways, including his word, his inspired words in scripture. This is so important. I want you to encourage you, keep the Bible close to you this Holy Week. Keep it close to you, especially Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and the last chapters of those books. Keep the word close to you. Keep it by your bedside this week. Don't look at your phone late at night. Don't spend as much time on screens this week. Jesus says in the Garden of Gethsemane, watch and pray. And he wants you to watch his life unfold in the last 24 hours, his passion. Watch closely. Listen attentively. See what he has to say to you. Watch and pray with him in his word. So what I want to do is bring you into that story on Good Friday. I want to take a look at some of these powerful scenes uh, and, and little details about these scenes that you may have just glanced over or may not fully under, have understood. I want to bring you the Old Testament background. Let me give you an example. In Matthew 27, verse 35, you read about in all the different gospels, but Matthew 27, 35 is one of them where we read about how the soldiers divide Jesus's garments and they cast lots for them. Just a little detail. Why do I need to know that? Because there's a whole prophecy in the background there. Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18. Psalm 22 is a prophecy about a righteous man who's being persecuted. And people will pass by and they wag their heads and they mock this righteous man as they're persecuting him. And then they pierce his hands and his feet. And then they divide his garments. And for his raiments, they cast lots. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> That's a prophecy all about Jesus on Good Friday. Jesus is that righteous man, ultimately. He's the righteous man who's being persecuted by his enemies. People will pass by and wag their heads and mock him on Good Friday. And then they will pierce his hands and his feet with the nails as he's nailed to the cross. And they'll divide his garments. And for his raiment, they will cast lots. It's exactly what happens to Jesus on Good Friday. That's Psalm 22, verses 16 through 18, a prophecy brought to fulfillment on Good Friday. How about another little detail? Here's one from John's gospel. I've often pondered this. John chapter 19, verse 29 tells us, you know, Jesus says, I thirst. They want to give him something to drink. So they put a, a sponge in, into some vinegar and they bring the sponge up to Jesus on a hyssop. Now, why do I need to know it's a hyssop plant? I mean, who cares? Like, really, of all the things I need to know, who cares about whether it's a, a hyssop or some other kind of plant that they use to get it up to Jesus? I want to know more about Jesus, what's going on in Jesus's life. And I want to know maybe how's Mary feeling, <laughs> you know, uh, what's Jesus thinking at these last moments? How much pain is he going through? Why do I really need to know about a hyssop? Because that's the same plant that was used in the Passover story. You see, do you remember the Passover story in Exodus chapter 12, the last night of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt? 
God says to them, take a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, eat of that lamb, and then take the blood of the lamb and put it on the doorposts. How do they get the blood on the doorposts? They use a hyssop, hyssop to get the blood up there. And what happens if the blood's on the doorpost? Then the angel of death passes over their homes and they are protected from that last and most severe plague, the death of all the firstborn sons. Well, John's gospel shows us in John 19, 29, he notices that detail. The hyssop is used again. Why? Because he wants to show us Jesus is the new Passover lamb. He's dying like a Passover lamb being sacrificed. Just as the lambs in Egypt were sacrificed by the Israelites and the blood was put on the doorpost to protect them from the angel of death, they were saved that night. So Jesus is the true Passover lamb and his death will save not just the firstborn, but the, but the lot of all humanity. He is the true Passover lamb. The next little detail John gives us, John 19 verse 33 is along similar lines. We read that the soldiers did not break Jesus's legs. You see, there was the tradition that you would break the criminal's legs, you know, if you, especially if you had to end a crucifixion quickly. Normally, a crucifixion would last over the course of a few days. As someone gradually is, is having their lungs collapse, they're not able to breathe, they go into shock, but it takes a long time. But the Romans need to end this quickly. Why? Because it's, it's the Sabbath. It's a Passover. And we got to end this by sundown. No work on the Sabbath. We got to make things, make sure everything's all done, especially before the great feast of Passover. So the soldiers go to the first criminal and chop the legs off, you know, cut the legs so that immediately the person's, you know, lungs collapse, they die immediately and uh, they can make sure they're really dead. He does that with the other one, but then they get the Jesus and the soldier looks at Jesus and goes, no, he's already dead and they don't have to break his legs. So it tells us, you know, how much he was suffering even before he got to Calvary and his scourging was so severe. He was practically dead by the time they nailed him on the cross. He was already dead, but John gives us that detail to highlight something else to show that Jesus once again is like a Passover lamb because with the Passover lamb, according to Exodus 12, 46, the legs of the lamb were not to be broken. No bones were to be broken. This was supposed to be an unblemished lamb. And John sees the connection and he highlights the connection for us. Jesus's legs aren't broken. Why? Because he's the Passover lamb. They use a hyssop. Why? because Jesus is like a Passover lamb. I can give you another detail. He's sacrificed at the same hour in which the Passover lambs would have been sacrificed. So John's gospel is trying to show us Jesus is the true, the true sacrifice, the true Passover lamb being sacrificed for our salvation. I'll give you another detail. Matthew 27, verse 51, it tells us that the temple veil was torn from top to bottom. Again, what is that all about? You ever wonder about that one? What is that all about? Well, this is symbolizing our access to God because the temple veil is what divided the outer side from the inner side. And people, if they want to draw near to God, to draw near to his presence, near to the Holy of Holies, now that temple veil is open. It's symbolizing we have access to intimacy, closeness with God now. And it's torn, not from the bottom up. Like if man was tearing it, you would start tearing from the bottom, but that's not what is happening here. The gospel emphasizes it's torn from top to bottom to show that it's God. God is the one that is tearing the temple veil. 
You know, there's another little detail I'll mention here, and that is the blood and the water that come from the side of Christ. In John chapter 19, verse 34, we read that that soldier takes, you know, he didn't break Jesus's legs, but he he takes a, a spear and, and, and pierces Jesus's side. And coming from the side of Christ is blood and water. What's the significance of that? Well, the earliest Christians, the church fathers, as they reflected on this, saw a lot of symbolism in blood and in water. That water symbolizes this, the sacrament of baptism. In fact, in John's gospel, it's, it's used this way, uh, that you have to be reborn by water and spirit, Jesus says to Nicodemus in chapter 3. So water is often associated with baptism, and then, of course, the blood is associated with the blood of Christ, the Eucharist, the gift of the Eucharist. Water and blood, baptism and Eucharist coming from the side of Christ. So Christ's death is giving birth to the church and to the sacraments. But what's most fascinating here is that the blood and the water are coming from the side. Again, John's gospel, every word is charged with meaning. That's on purpose. He's telling us something from the side. Where else have we ever seen something or someone come from the side of someone else? Think about the first book of the Bible, Genesis. Genesis, the first man, Adam. Who comes from Adam's side? Eve, the first woman. So Eve comes from the side of Adam. Here we have water and blood coming from the side of Christ. Jesus is the new Adam in John's gospel and all the gospels, really. He's the new Adam. And coming from the side of Jesus, the new Adam is what? The church, the new Eve, the bride of Christ. The church symbolized through water and blood, baptism and Eucharist, the two principal sacraments. How do we enter life in the church? How do we enter the mystical body of Christ? How are we born into the supernatural family of God, the church? Through baptism, the water of baptism. And how do we grow and mature and strengthen our lives as children of God in this church? Through his body and blood in the Eucharist, water and blood. Baptism in the Eucharist coming from the side of Christ. The church is born from the side of Christ. The new Eve is born from the new Adam. Isn't this just beautiful? How the, the, the scriptures all come together and, and really paint this beautiful picture of the climax of the covenant. Another little detail in John's gospel, a little bit earlier, John chapter 19, verses 23 through 24, we read about this seamless garment. Do you remember this story here? I'll read it for you just to kind of have it fresh in our minds. John chapter 19, verse 23, when the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and made four parts, one for each soldier, also his tunic, but the tunic was without seam woven from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. Now, this is interesting. There was this tunic that's there without seam woven from top to bottom. The word for tunic there uh, is a word that's used in scripture it can describe a long inner garment that's worn next to the skin, but sometimes it's used to describe one of the high priest's garments. Yeah, you can read about this in Leviticus 16.4 and Exodus 28.4. This particular word 
describes a garment of a high priest. And what's fascinating is that the, this particular garment of the high priest was never to be torn. According to the law, according to Leviticus 21.10, this garment of the high priest was never to be torn. So when we read about this seamless garment, this tunic without seam, and how it's not going to be torn, the soldiers don't want to tear it, it's bringing to mind the, a garment of the high priest, something the high priest would wear. And what is that telling us? This garment of Jesus is like a high priest garment. John's trying to tell us Jesus is like a priest. He's like the true high priest. You know, we could look at Good Friday and say, oh, this is just, Jesus is just a victim. He's the one being sacrificed. And we could say he's just like a passive victim. He's being sacrificed on the cross. But John is trying to tell us there's something more going on here. He's not just a victim. He is the priest. He's not a passive victim. The, he's the priest offering up this sacrifice. In other words, yes, Jesus is being sacrificed, but it's not something just passively happening to him. You know, he, he is, he, as he said to Pilate on Good Friday, right, I can call, you know, my father and he'll send down legions of angels to come rescue me in an instant. Christ has the power to take himself down there from the cross. He's the one freely going along with it. In John 10, he says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord. And that's what this little subtle point is bringing out. Jesus is the high priest. He's not a passive victim. He lays down his life freely. He's not just passively being sacrificed like some animal that can't do anything about it. No, he is the priest and he's freely offering himself. I want to leave you with this practical application point here. We want to be more like Christ. And we, even as lay people, are called to share in Christ's priesthood. You know, by virtue of our baptism, the Catholic Church teaches we all participate in Christ's three major roles, his three major offices as priest, prophet, and king. Now, don't get me wrong. The bishops and the priests, the ordained priests, they have a unique participation in this. But we also have a priestly ministry as lay people. We're not going to offer the mass and the sacraments and all that. No, but we're called to participate in Christ's sacrifice. We're called to offer up our lives totally as a gift like he did on Calvary. And I think this little scene tells us something beautiful. You see, we could look at the events in our lives, the things that unfold, things that happen to us, circumstances that are inflicted upon us. And we could just be a passive victim. And we could just say, oh, this is hard. And we can whine and we can complain. We can kick and scream. We can resist. We can fight back. We could be bitter. We could be angry. That's not what Jesus did on Good Friday. On Good Friday, Jesus offered himself freely. He chose to offer himself. So the next time you are inconvenienced, you can choose to be a passive victim and whine and complain and grumble about it, or you could choose to embrace it and offer it up and use it as an opportunity to exercise your priestly role by virtue of your baptism. The next time that something bad happens to you or something you're worried about, whatever that is, you can choose to just be a passive victim or you can choose to be more like Jesus and embrace it, trusting if the Father allowed this to happen, 
if God in his providence allowed this event to unfold in your life, that God can bring good out of it. You can say yes to it. You can embrace it. You can still try to fix your problems, of course. And, you know, but, but in the end you could, you could just say, okay, Lord, I didn't choose this. I didn't want this to happen, but I believe you can bring good out of this. You can bring good out of it for me. And so I freely offer this to you. I offer this situation at work. I offer this fear about my finances. I offer this tension in this relationship, this stress in my marriage, or this worry I have for one of my kids, whatever it is, I can just choose to be a passive victim. That's what probably many other, many other criminals, when they were crucified, were in the end passive victims, but not Jesus. Jesus freely chose to offer himself in the sacrifice, and we can choose to do the same. Well, I pray this has been a helpful reflection for you. I want to offer you something. I, I have a free resource available on my website to help you in Holy Week. Last week, I mentioned this little devotion I started doing 25 years ago of reading the different parts of Christ's passion accounts in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, each of the Gospels, but reading them sequentially at the certain times in which they're unfolding in the Triduum, Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter. You know, uh, And I've often done this, but this year it takes on great meaning because I can't get to mass. Uh, so because of that, uh, I'm going to stay close to God's word. And so I put a free resource on my website. Uh, it's there as a, as a guide, a step-by-step guide to Holy Week. So I list all of the scripture verses and I give recommended times that you could read those verses on Holy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, Easter. Uh, so check it out. It's for free on my website, edwardsri.com. That's edwardsri.com. Just It's on the homepage. Scroll down. You'll see it as one of the featured articles. It's for free. Feel free to share it with friends. You don't have to ask permission. Just feel free to share it. Just attribute it to my website. That's fine. <laughs> I hope it's helpful for you to stay close to Jesus in his word in this holy week. And again, if you have any questions, if you have any prayer intentions, I'll be, I'm praying for you this week. You can send your prayer intentions or questions or just comments, share with me how you're doing and uh, any ideas you have on how you're going to try to live the liturgical year and while not being able to participate fully in the liturgy. I, I, I'd love to hear that and share those ideas with others. You can reach out to me always on my website or you can reach out to me at info.edwardsri at gmail.com. That's info.edwardsri at gmail.com. You can always find me on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And remember to get those show notes, ascensionpress.com slash all things Catholic. God bless.